everyone. I'm Esther Pan Sloan, Head of Partnerships, Policy and Communications at the United Nations Capital Development Fund. Welcome to Season 2 of Capital Musings, UNCDF's podcast, where we are focusing on fresh ideas and new innovations that serve our mandate to make finance work for the poor in the world's least developed countries, and as we celebrate the 75th anniversary of the United Nations. You can find our Capital Musings podcast on Apple, Spotify, or our website, www.uncdf.org. We are very happy today to have with us as our guest, Karen Finn, the Managing Director and Global Head of Sustainable Finance for the Bank of America. Karen, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Tell us about yourself, Karen. Where were you born? Where did you study? When did you come to the United States? As Esther said, I am Karen Fang. I was born in China, mainland China, so a town called Suzhou, very close to Shanghai. And I went to University of Tokyo, so that was slightly unusual, but I graduated high school from high school in China, and then I went to Japan, studied Japanese for a couple of months and got into University of Tokyo, and I studied economics and financial engineering. When did I come to the United States? Wow. So I, I graduated from University of Tokyo, worked in Japan, worked in London, and then came to the United States in 2002. So I guess that will bring me to 18 years, definitely a New Yorker now. For our audience members who are listening who may not know this, Suzhou in China is very famous for both being a beautiful location and being the source of very many beautiful women. So I think that's something that our audience needs to know about Karen Fang. Uh, so very kind. At hand, uh, Karen, what got you interested in finance? Um, well, I was actually, it's funny. So I, I got to University of Tokyo and, you know, the first two years, as those of you who know a little bit about Asian academic courses at universities, that the first two years are general studies. So I really didn't know what I wanted to do. But I was uh, doing a part-time job, and I met someone who actually worked at Smith Barney. And this is actually funny because I was doing, you know, I was trying to study really hard and trying to make my ends meet being a, a poor student from China working in Japan and pretty much living on my own. So I was actually doing a waitress job, and I was, like, serving tables, and I met a customer who actually worked at uh, Smith Barney. And he was a research analyst. And by the way, for the life of me, I can't find him on Facebook or anywhere else. I actually don't know where this uh, <laughs> nice mentor of mine has gone. But anyway, so he started asking me about what I'm studying at University of Tokyo and got me interested and actually convinced me to do a sophomore internship at Smith Barney. Because I was, you know, I spoke English, I spoke Mandarin, I spoke Japanese. So he's like, well, you know, you can't really you know, get a job in research and you really should learn about equity markets and bond markets, just like a, you're going to be a kid in the candy store. So I was just doing general studies at University of Tokyo, so I had no idea. I didn't hear of Wall Street before, didn't really know what finance was about. But anyway, a sophomore internship in the research department, uh, getting up early in the morning, uh, listening to what the United States in terms of stock markets did and bond markets did and writing down all the research commentary and translating them into Japanese kind of got me starting finance. That's a story I haven't told many people. So Esther, <laughs> nice job getting me to tell the story. Well, and it was definitely a nice start. 
of why young people should take jobs in the service industry because social studies teach you to work hard, but exactly. Um, and let us also make the point that you learn Japanese to go to university in Japan. That's right. That's right. So we, we, had... we don't want the audience to ignore that point either. <laughs> this is not just you know a regular study abroad program. Yeah, I definitely think that's one of the few things that I was uh, really proud of is to actually skip two years of language school and, and learn Japanese for a couple of months. And so I don't waste uh, two years waiting around and become the Otis college student in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> so after your time at Smith Barney, and then, you know, you've worked at, I think, every big bank on Wall Street. When did you get <laughs> best interested in sustainable development and sustainable finance? Sure. So... I have to say, I worked in Tokyo and London and came to the U.S. And one of the most noteworthy things that I did was I kind of set up this, you know, sort of cross-asset, cross-industry solutions group at, uh, at Goldman Sachs, where I met my mentor and sponsor, Tom Montag, who is still my big boss today. He really kind of brought me to Bank America 10 years ago. So I can't believe it's been a decade. Um, so I was still running a similar business, i.e. kind of like complicated solutions, right? Made simple, working with corporates, restructuring their balance sheets, help pension funds manage assets in accordance with liabilities. All sounds pretty complicated. What it means is basically structure corporate finance and structure balance sheet management. And then I was trying to like connect those solutions into investable products for investors, right? So Pretty interesting sort of structured, you know, corporate finance type of job. You know, so I got to Bank America in 2010, and I think in 2011, 2012, I realized we're a really big player in the wind and solar finance business. But we were primarily doing that from our leasing division where, you know, we were leasing equipment and we were investing the tax equity, you know, part of the capital structure. So again, without getting too much into technicals, I realized that there is an opportunity to expand that business, to get our global markets division involved under Tom's leadership, to basically really complement the existing leasing and tax equity investment in wind and solar, and really expand our renewable energy finance footprint into asset finance debt, into project finance, and securitization. So long story short, that's kind of where I started, and I've been involved in, let's say, renewable asset finance, energy efficiency, EV type of structuring and financing for really, you know, nine years or so. So that kind of got me into the environmental side of the sustainable development. But having come from China, having come from nothing, very humble beginnings, I was always very aware of poverty, aware of, you know, inequality, justice, social injustice. And I was always aware, you know, made, made very aware that I'm so lucky today to have a job I like, to have a home I like, to have a life I like is because I had that access to education. I had that access to a very stable environment, right? I had a good housing, I had good education, a good health care. And I was able to focus on my study and advancement. And when I needed, I had access to a network, my mentor that got me into Wall Street, you know, the Smith Barney story that I didn't tell after that is one connection led to another. And I did a lot of internships at different, you know, large banks, including Merrill Lynch and JP Morgan at and Morgan Stanley at you know in Japan, and I was able to choose the job I wanted when I graduated. Right, so extremely fortunate position. So to me, society needs to be sustainable, which means people need to have access to education. All the good fortune that I had, and if we can do something to bring capital markets into a position 
that can help enable those access, access to capital, access to education, access to healthcare, access to housing, then I would have done my part. And that would be a dream job, right? Meaning that you can actually do your job and do what you like and and focus on high finance. At the same time, you're really contributing to an environmental and social sustainability, contributing to higher costs. So for me, that's honestly a dream job. And that's kind of what I, after 22 years on Wall Street, eventually landed at Bank of America. So, you know, can't thank the, the, the firm's leadership enough, Tom Montag, Amphanukin, Brian Moynihan, our CEO, our entire leadership team. You know, this sounds like, you know, it sounds like an American dream. It really is an American dream. So I'm just very lucky to have had the position and had the opportunity to, to get here. Thanks for sharing that with us, Karen. I mean, you don't really sound like a typical banker. So how, how much do your views? You're trying to offend all my colleagues. <laughs> or how you know, people outside the finance industry think about how the financial industry works and you know, fiduciary responsibility and, and things like that. So how much would you say your views are different from the prevailing views of the financial industry? Or how are they reflecting maybe changes in how the financial industry is approaching these issues of sustainability and development that maybe people from the outside don't know that the industry is moving this direction? Yeah, so I would I would think that I'm really not the minority, actually. I think, you know, Wall Street gets a bad rep. And I think a lot of people don't get opportunities like this to have a very candid conversation and talk about their life, right? And there's definitely, you know, just like any industry. I think there are, you know, people that don't live to the standard, but there are also a lot of people that really reflect on their lives and try to think about every day what they can do to make the world a better place. It sounds corny, but really is not. And I actually am impressed with the amount of people that I work with every day that want to do a little bit better, even that means a little bit less for themselves, for other people. So I would think this is a journey as well, Esther. I think people and society and how we think about shareholder, you know, focus versus stakeholder focus, right? All that evolution is happening right in front of our eyes. And you and I talk about how challenging this year has been, not just for our, you know, our lives and our families, but really for the whole world. And you think about what this makes people think about what they need to do with their life next, right? I think a yeah. lot of that reflection and inflection point is happening for people. So you will hear more and more people talk like me in the industry, hopefully, you know, than before. And I think, you know, you think about the work that we are doing, right, in bringing more financing for COVID response, in bringing more financing to racial equality more financing for education. All of that, I think, is a testament to how the industry is evolving and how, how, frankly, how corporate world is evolving, right? And maybe the way that we work and we live, you know, is all going to evolve. And I think that's a good thing. And that's great to, to put, hear. Yeah, to put humanity in finance, to put more purpose in finance, it's a great thing. Even that means short term, you may you know, sacrifice a part of the return or what have you. I believe in long-term, you know, enhanced risk-adjusted return. I really do believe that. Research, you know, our research department, Savita, you know, Subramanian, and their team has done a lot of this work to really showcase in the last few years is this theme that we're talking about better risk-adjusted performance for companies and for organizations. This is actually now being proven in the stock and bond market. And that's wonderful because, frankly, that's the dream of the United Nations, right? That the private sector would take more of a role in issues around 
supporting sustainable development goals and that we could move capital to places where it has more of a development impact as well as a financial impact. I think it's really wonderful to see those trends happening because that really was kind of a dream behind the SDGs that I think even at the time that SDGs were being negotiated, I don't think anybody really imagined that they would be hearing the financial sector or other players talking about it this seriously five years later. So that's right. wonderful to hear. No, um, you, and to your point, Esther, right, when you came up with that 17 Sustainable Development Goals in 2015, when you have 190 plus countries all agreed to it, right? I mean, at the time, how we finance it is sort of the next step. And it does cost anywhere between 3 to $6 trillion, depending who you ask, to finance all the 17 goals in, you know, every year for the next 10 years for us to really kind of help make progress towards all 17 goals. And for us, you know, it's sort of like, it's not even a question. Private sector has to be involved. Frankly, private sector has to probably put in more capital than the public sector and the philanthropic sector, right? Because you look at the United States government in terms of what our federal budget is. I mean, let's forget about it. We're not going to be able to really do more than, you know, and how much more deficit do we want to put on if the government needs to start putting on more public sector funding, right, into additional causes. Uh, not to mention we have a lot of infrastructure issues, racial injustice issues to deal with domestically. So I think private sector needs to play a very big role, to your point, and we need to get every single part of the private sector. It's not just banks. It's asset managers, pension funds, insurance companies. It's foundations, endowments, and family offices. And that's precisely the work that you and I are doing on United Nations Global Investors for Sustainable Development, right, to come up with these vehicles and channels and pipelines, investment platforms to pull the different capital together to blend the capital together, because it really takes all of us to achieve these goals. Absolutely. And I think what's been great for the United Nations in working with financial players like Bank of America and the other members of this Global Investors for Sustainable Development Group that we both serve on, is that the financial sector is so good at things like metric and measurement and reporting and rigor in those areas that it traditionally has tracked. So if we can ask it to track some other areas and consider some other metrics, then we can really address the kind of rigorous reporting that the financial sector needs on things like impact, which has not really traditionally been a strong focus of some of the early pilot stage uh, vehicles and investment opportunities that have come out. Plus, then the UN can do what it's good at, which is verifying to the integrity of the development impact. And then if you combine those things and create products that the financial sector actually will buy instead of products the UN thinks they should put money into, then you have something that can really scale and make a big difference around the world. Absolutely. Completely. Um, as we talk about uh, that topic, please tell us about the Equality Progress Sustainability Bond that Bank of America launched this summer. Absolutely. So. As you know, and actually we did this call to action, right, when Bank America issued its first sort of financial service industry's first COVID-19-focused social bonding May, that kind of led us to underwrite, you know, almost more than $45 billion of COVID bonds, providing much-needed capital around the world for agencies and governments and corporations to deal with COVID, right, and provide support. So following that, essentially, the background of this side is obviously, you know, COVID was uh, not the only crisis we dealt with this year, right? And you start seeing George Floyd and Amy Cooper and 
you know, really the spotlight then got put on racial injustice and the lack of racial equality. So our CEO, Brian Moynihan, and our management team kind of put out this, you know, announcement. We were one of the first United States corporations to put out this big announcement to say, you know what, we cannot let this quiet down, right? We have to help address these gaps, right? So these are gaps that we're talking about, you know, whether it's gap to, you know, access gap to education, healthcare, housing, business growth capital, right? So how do we do that, right? So the first thing that Brian did was, okay, let's tackle, you know, immediate response first. We need to give more grants and more philanthropic dollars and more focus in a more focused approach. We need to invest in more minority deposit institutions. We need to help from, you know, investments and funds and to basically help empower the black and brown community. So he made that billion dollar announcement in June. And that was over a four-year commitment and kind of like anything that we, so it's above and beyond what we already do in business as well as, you know, philanthropy. And he kind of announced this additional billion-dollar boost. Then immediately after that, you know, since I run, you know, sustainable finance at Bank of America with both an environmental and social focus, you know, at our sustainable markets committee, which is co co-run by our chief operating officer, Tom Montag, who I mentioned before, who's my mentor and sponsor, and Anne Finucan, who's our head of ESG and vice chairman of the bank, right? The two of them were very interested in having, you know, me and all the businesses talk about what else we can do in business, not just philanthropic, not just grants, you know, not just like an equity investment into some minority deposit institutions. What else can we do? And don't, don't, and they're, I remember they're asking me very, being very clear, no BAU, which means no business as usual, no BAU. Think about what is beyond BAU. So that's, that was the ask. The finished product was what we issued on September 22nd, our very first sustainability bond, which is both green and social and watch the space. And this will be our first one, but when definitely not be our last one. We'll be rolling out Bank America sustainability bonds at, you know, on a regular basis going forward. But this was our very first one. And it's reason it's very unique. On September 22nd, when we issued this, the response was overwhelming because of its uniqueness. Because the social side of the proceeds of this Bank America bond was dedicated exclusively to the socioeconomic empowerment of the African-American and Hispanic community in the U.S. So what that meant was that it's not a portion of our proceeds, right? It was a $2 billion transaction where a billion dollars is for the environmental side where, you know, we will do more wind and solar and renewable energy financing. We'll do more electrical vehicle financing and leasing. But for the social side, it was a billion dollars at a minimum. That, for this five-year bond, will be dedicated solely for the purpose of providing more affordable housing for multifamily projects for the black and brown community. We will have more single-family ownership owned by the black and brown homeowners. Uh, We'll be working with NACA, which is Neighborhood Assistant Corporation of America, an NGO, to really identify homeowners that really could not access home mortgage and providing them with closing cost, waiver, below market mortgage rate, and really helping increase home ownership, right? We'll be developing more and more multifamily rental housing projects for 
not the old project that you're thinking about, but really the, the new age affordable housing. We call them affordable housing of tomorrow with a lot of sustainability elements included in the right neighborhoods. And then we'll be doing more healthcare lending to African-American and Hispanic dentists and doctors and vets. We will be providing more financing to minority suppliers that are African-American and Hispanic-owned and operated that really offer products and services to larger corporations, right? So we're teaming up with a lot of large corporations, and they're giving us their minority supplier list, and we're financing them or providing banking services to them. So together, we're helping these companies grow, right? And last but not least, we're providing more equity capital investment and fund investment into black and brown-owned businesses. We're super proud of this because it's not BAU, right? It's not business as usual. It's stuff that we probably have done low-income housing. Do we focus on the right communities and zip codes? Not necessarily, right? We did practice solutions and healthcare solutions to finance you know, minority doctors and dentists, but do we focus? Do we have a laser focus in the communities that really have the largest gap? The median family wealth of a black household is 10% of that is a white household in the United States, 10%. So we have to help the communities that are in need the most with a much more focused approach. I mean, we're all minorities. I'm Asian and Asian American. So yes, all minorities have gaps, but they have the most amount of gap right now, economic, socioeconomic gaps. So we want to focus on that. We want to really provide you know, a path for that accelerated gap reduction. So that's kind of what we did. It's a five-year bond. As I said, we worked with Tom and Ann and our leadership team to structure this across our eight lines of business. And people were so excited to be involved in this. And just the amount of internal employees response we got probably made the whole, you know, structuring process worthwhile. But when we finally launched in capital markets, Our largest investors in this bond, you know, obviously they were oversubscribed by two and a half times. We sold out the bond in two hours, you know. So a $2 billion bond sold out in a couple of hours, and it was multiple times oversubscribed. Had we opened the window a little longer, I'm sure it would be even more oversubscribed. But the reason that people are responding so enthusiastically to this. And the employees, we had employees who cried about this when they saw the announcement mm-hmm. and say, we're so proud to work at Bank America. We had investors say, can I do more? Can I buy more of this? You know, I think it's because actually, as we talked about before, it did humanize finance. Mm-hmm. It did put humanity and purpose in the work that we do, but it's really made us feel that we have a purpose. And investors and us as an issuer, us as a structurer, as an underwriter and distributor and, and the bond investor and, and all, everyone involved felt that we were doing something bigger than ourselves. And I think that is the purpose of capital markets is to connect issuers and investors to do more of this. And I'm pleased to tell you, Esther, after we issued the bond, me, capital markets, banking, our teams at Bank America have spoken to 70 plus corporations in the U.S. And mostly at the C-suite level, CFO, CEO, COO, and board levels. And they wanted to know how we thought about this and they wanted to know what they can, what they can do. We're actually working on a couple of live transactions now where people are thinking about cheaper digital access and more media content. Mm-hmm. 
for that community and more producers, you know, that from that community and more education done for that community, more products tailored to that community. So I do feel like we started a worthwhile conversation, right? I think George Floyd started a conversation. Amy mm-hmm. Cooper's event started a conversation. We started a conversation on what issuers and investors can do to help contribute, right, to this cause. And by the way, if you think about this bond, it ticked five SDGs out of 17, right? The That's UN great. SDGs that you guys created. We yeah. had, a, you know, we had obviously good health and well-being. We had sustainable cities and communities and we're just really proud of it. Every transaction we do in sustainable finance at Bank of America, by the way, we look at the UN SDG goals and we ask our people, what goals are we accomplishing by doing this transaction? And that is a new mindset. And I do think that changes behavior. Absolutely. And the fact that you guys work this into your core business, right? So I think, you know, we are very allergic to the idea of a lot of big firms putting things out and saying, this is an SDG product. This is a gender product. But when you dig deep and look at their indicators, you really see that it's just the same stuff they had before, but they're putting a new label on it. Right. And what was so impressive about this product is how you guys analyzed your lines of business and worked in the social justice angle into things you're already doing, right? Mortgages, loans, access to finance. And, you know, we've joked that at times you sound more like you work at the UN than I do. (laughs) The focus on on access to finance, the focus on the communities that are most left behind, the focus on really pragmatic, measurable, targeted steps that you can take to reach those groups. Like that's exactly what we're doing in LDCs. But the fact that you guys are a giant bank you're doing it in the financial industry, in a product that's you know financially legitimate that all of these traditional finance people will buy, makes it so impressive. So congratulations. I was so impressed when I heard about this product. And I think there are two things struck me when you were talking about it in a previous conversation. One was the minority placement agents that you brought in to raise money for the That's bond. right. I'd love you to that's talk right. about that a little bit. And then the fact that you had over 200... Bank of America employees work with you on this and people were just jumping to volunteer at it. So I wonder if you could talk about those two issues just a little bit. Yeah, thank you for raising that. And uh, it is the first time in Bank of America history, usually we, our own securities firm, Bank of America Securities, would underwrite a Bank of America corporation-issued corporate bond. This is the first time in our history that we brought in three co-leads you know, Sieber William Shank, and we brought in Ramirez, and we brought in Loop Capital, two African-American-owned and one Hispanic-owned firm as co-lead with Bank America Securities to underwrite a bank, $2 billion Bank America corporate bond. And it's very symbolic um, for many, many reasons. And there are many other issuers now are doing the same. So hopefully we start a trend. Uh, historically, you know, again, for those of you who are not familiar with capital markets, you know, a co-lead is a big deal, right? A co-manager or, you know, co-syndicate manager, that's usually kind of slightly more symbolic. But co-lead, you get real economics, you get paid, and you have a real position, you get bonds to sell. This is not cosmetic at all, right? So that's, we hope many other issuers will follow this and our treasury department and our CFO, you know, Paul D'Onofrio and our treasurer, Andre Magaziner, they were super supportive on this. And I would believe we're actually increasing the percentage that we'll use uh, these minority firms going forward on all of our bond transactions. And then the audience understands what that means. That means that all of the money that Bank of America would have itself earned from raising this bond, it is now sharing with minority-owned firms. 
So that is profit that Bank of America is choosing to give us and to share and bring other people to the table so they get a chance. Absolutely. And we believe that will then help strengthen the capital positions of these really well done, you know, really well run investment banks and brokerage firms, right? And then you look at SWS, Loop and Ramirez, they're all very good firms. But they definitely, you know, just like any other brokerage firm, they could use more capital. So if they get paid more, they could underwrite more, they could advise more, and we're helping power those firms, right? And they could bring more transactions, by the way. Could be black and brown owned companies in the communities. Mm-hmm. They could help advise them more merger and acquisition transactions, more capital markets transactions for the companies and from the communities that they represent. So we believe that's, again, just like the investments that we're putting in, in which is so far we have put in 10 equity capital investments, by the way, in minority deposit institutions that, again, service primarily the black and brown community. We put more capital in there because they can turn around and lend more. They can have better capital and do more of this advisory and, and, and underwriting business for the companies from that community. So it is definitely, there is a leverage effect there. So thank you for asking me to talk about that. And the employees fact, we still get that. I still get invited to speak at these employee town halls and people just, people are just so proud. And the 200 plus employees, all of us didn't really have a summer vacation because of COVID. Nobody probably would have had a vacation anyway, but everyone was working through August. Everyone gave up their weekends and it was hard. We want to get it out as quickly as possible. It still took us three months, but uh, we had uh, so much work to do. And because, oh, by the way, this is a great thing. We will track how we spend the money in a very public fashion, we'll have our auditor PwC certify our tracking and our measurement in terms of how we're using the proceeds. And you all will be able to follow this on the anniversary of our you know, bond issuance. So hopefully by you know, September of next year, you'll see the first report, bofa.com. Uh, you will see how we spend the money and how we hopefully generate some impact for the society and for the communities. So PwC you know, has to certify our tracking process. So there's a lot of work that went into it. So big shout out to all of our teams at Bank America, the 200 plus colleagues that worked on this transaction. And uh, it's not just the top of the house. I think it really kind of got done because the teams put their heart and soul into it. And you were talking before about kind of the inspiration and engagement dividend that you saw of, you know, for your employees for Bank of America colleagues that were offering their expertise in various financial fields because they were so engaged and so dedicated to working on this issue. Do you think that is a tool for attracting the best talent in this current market and going forward? Absolutely. I think any employer that doesn't have an approach towards environmental sustainability and social sustainability and talk about stakeholder capitalism and think about stakeholder capitalism. Again, for that, you know, for those of you who's not familiar with the term, is just that you have to serve not just your shareholders, you have to serve your employees and your clients and your communities. If anyone doesn't have that approach, I do believe long-term they will have a problem attracting and retaining talent. From this project, I can tell you, I got a lot of internal mobility candidates. People want to work on my team. So it's been a very good problem for me to have uh, where people say if they can combine what they do with, you know, the satisfaction they feel from doing something bigger and better than themselves, you know, this would be a dream job. I think a lot of people share that view and, you know, I'm not alone. So it's definitely been great retaining and attracting talent internally for me. And I definitely hope uh, that would be the case, you know, in the future externally as well. And I think many other teams and look at the work you guys are doing at UNCDF. I think, you know, all of us doing this type of work 
sustainable finance will probably have the easiest time recruiting and retaining talent. Yeah, yeah I think that's true. And also leadership matters, right? I'm sure it makes a huge difference that you are at the front of this effort leading it and passionate about it and setting the path for people to follow. I think that's probably tremendously influential as well. Oh, thank you. That's very um, kind. So what do you think is the future of sustainable finance? Because I know when we're in these discussions at the UN, you know, there's these big banks and pension funds and people say all the right things. But then when you say, okay, well, you set a target for your assets under management that you're going to commit to sustainable finance or sustainable development investing, everyone gets very anxious. And they're like, well, we still have to meet our target. So, it, you know, finance is an industry. It has a traditional way of looking at things. It has a traditional way of approaching risk assessment and calculations of what is a reasonable return. So how big do you think sustainable finance can get given all of these trends and that we've been talking about? And how much will it kind of butt against this traditional approach of there's a certain amount of money we have to earn and, you know, our highest priority is to deliver returns to our shareholders? Yeah. So I think the future of sustainable finance, it really is the way of being. So for me, sustainable finance, where you finance projects and you provide financings to companies and projects that are aligned with the UN Sustainable Development Goals, hopefully it's a genius of the end, right? Our CEO likes to talk about genius of the end. That basically means profit and purpose. Okay, so the P and the P. And for, for me, it's doing good and doing well, right? So I don't believe that you have to be concessionary everywhere in the capital structure to achieve and to finance. And every time you talk about, you know, a green or social project and people roll their eyes and say, this is just concessionary financing. That's not true at all. You look at what is going on in wind and solar, right? And it's a very good analogy for how, you know, a template model should work in sustainable finance. You know, because I do think it's a way of the future. If you don't have the environment, you don't have the, you know, you don't have the right climate, you wipe out nations, you, you change the mm-hmm. landscape, you're going to have a, a migration problem. And how is this society, you know, and the E and the S are so connected, right? So if anything we do, everything we do is not for these two areas of sustainability, environmental and social. If you don't have the society, you don't have the environment, what else do you have? So I don't view this as a niche and a fad and fashionable thing to talk about. For me, it's like, if you don't think about this, and that's why we ask everybody at Bank America, right? We've had a responsible growth strategy for 10 years. Now we're asking people, what is your sustainable finance strategy? So this transaction you want to do, how many UN SDG goals do you fulfill? Not that we're like being super tough, right? And then like, but we make people think about this. Yes, we may have a transaction that doesn't happen to take one, and that doesn't mean we don't do any of those. But it just, we make people think, we want to change people's behavior. You change behavior by changing how people think. So for me, when I think about this, we know it's going to cost three to $6 trillion, right? We know how much public sector and philanthropic dollars can take care of. We know private sector has to pour in trillions of dollars. To your point, this is not about showing up at a meeting, you know, at the UN, feel good about it. This is just about doing, right? So for us, we probably have the downfall of not bragging about ourselves enough. I mean, we would normally historically even not be doing a podcast like this. But I think we need to tell our story because you know what? Bank America was the first bank in the U.S. that had a very clearly defined environmental business commitment in 2007. 
before this was fashionable, right? And to date, to date, from 2007, we have already implemented $158 billion of environmental focused financing. That's everything I've been talking about, wind and solar, energy efficiency, and all the things that we do in underwriting green bonds. We're the number one green bond underwriter of all time, Mm -hmm. right? So these are the work that we've been doing, but we don't talk about it. Guess what? What do we do? With Brian and Ann and Tom, we're putting another $300 billion environmental commitment between now and 2030. Right. Wow. That's going to take care of a big part. And guess what? It's not good enough. Just like the other couple of goals that we had from 2007, we always achieved it early and we re-upped mm-hmm. the ante. So for us, this is about holding ourselves to a big bar. And, you know, we're working on a sustainable finance goal, actually, that captures both our environmental goals as well as our social goals. Now we have done seeing what 2020 has brought to the world. Right. And we have yeah. been so successful in channeling private sector funding to COVID response. And we have been relatively successful to date. Your proof is in the pudding. We're actually working on a lot of big transactions as we speak for racial justice and racial equality, right? We want to do more of this type of work. It's not just our own balance sheet. It's also the investor's capital, right? And partner's capital. And so to your point, to answer your question, it is not all concessionary, right? The blended finance will have some concessionary capital part, right? And we'll have some philanthropic dollars. Maybe we'll even have more government tax incentives and regulatory incentives and capital incentives and liquidity incentives for banks and insurance companies. But there will be a big part of the capital structure for these projects. There will be market return, right? Mm. So average investors who have the fiduciary duty, right, who do have returns to meet can still invest. And I do think it is our collective responsibility. You at CDF, right, will have a different type of mandate for your capital. And us, that have a huge balance sheet, but we also have this ability to connect investors into these projects and structure and divide the capital needs into different parts. And by bringing the right capital in the right part of the capital structure to help blend them together and enable these projects, that is our job. Our job is to structure, enable, and empower. And it's not just with our own balance sheet. It's not just with the UN's balance sheet. We together have to attract a lot more private sector capital, a lot more innovation, and frankly, a lot more hard work and people who are willing to do the hard work into this type of mission. Because it's only by doing it together we can make it possible. Again, Karen, I feel like, you know, you are a better spokesman for the UN and the Sustainable <laughs> Development Goals than many people that we have already. So, um, but Thank you. You know, I was on, you know, that I was one of the people who helped negotiate the SDGs. And I can tell you that nobody there of those diplomats over those three years and all those meetings and late nights and overnights that we spent wrangling about all of the different goals, nobody, I think, except the most optimistic person could have dreamt that somebody who was high up in the leadership of a major international bank would be talking the way you are now about the UN SDGs. I mean, that's just a dream. and. SDG 17 is partnership for the goals. And I think you and all of your colleagues at Bank of America and all of our colleagues on the Global Investors for Sustainable Development Group and like-minded kind of investors and colleagues around the world are really proving that this hope that we had that, you know, these goals would be a roadmap for development for the entire world and we could draw in new partners is really coming to fruition. So, Thank you so much for your dedication and your passion, for your expertise, for the ability to lead people towards this vision that's clearly very compelling within Bank of America and is really just music to our ears uh, here at the UN. And 
thank you for showing that we can make real progress on these most challenging problems that the world has and offer a really inspiring path to the future. Thank so, you, Esther. Thank you. Yeah, and thank you to all your colleagues at UN and your, your leadership as well, you know, really kind of setting the goals and holding us accountable and really inspiring all of us to do more. I think that's exactly the approach we need to follow, and we really appreciate your leadership. Well, same here. We will definitely check in with you next year in September so that we can get a report <laughs> on how your amazing Equality Bond is doing. Thanks again for joining That was Karen Fang of Bank of America on UNCDS podcast, Catholic Musings. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you. Thanks again for joining us, everyone, for UNCDF's podcast, Capital Musings. Once again, you can find us on Apple, Spotify, and our website, www.uncdf.org.